through professional executive assistants who are career assistants, there isn't a whole lot that they would say, this is not my job. You know, to me, I always say, you know, short of committing grand larceny or murder, there isn't a whole like a lot that I wouldn't do for my executive. That's Jan Jones, former executive assistant to personal development icon, Tony Robbins, and the best-selling author of The CEO's Secret Weapon. My job is to give back time to my executives. So whatever I need to do to make that happen is what I'm going to do. I, I have no labels on that as far as menial or this or that. That's nonsense because my role is to make certain that my executive is making the very, very best use of their time. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Jan Jones to discuss how to find the best executive assistant, how to leverage your assistant to free up your time, and how to empower your assistant to always find a way to overcome any barrier that stands in your way. They don't have what they need, so they use what they have. They know how to get it done. They know how to go about making things happen. They don't throw up their hands and say, I I don't know how to do it. They always, always find a way. That's the kind of assistant you want, somebody who will always find a way for you. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Jan Jones has served as the executive assistant to Tony Robbins, and she's represented small business guru and best-selling author of E-Myth, Michael Gerber. Her book, The CEO's Secret Weapon, How Great Leaders and Their Assistants Maximize Productivity and Effectiveness, reveals a series of best practices for finding, developing, and leveraging an executive assistant, enabling you to spend more time working on your business instead of simply working in it. I began our conversation by asking Jan what led her to write this book. I've been an assistant for 20-something years, and as a result of my experience supporting Tony Robbins, I started a business with the Speakers Bureau. And the Speakers Bureau, essentially what we do is we send business experts and celebrities to speak at events around the world. And because of that, I have a lot of exposure to high-level business experts and CEOs. And one of the things that I noticed, Michael, was that the executives didn't have assistants who were of the caliber you would expect from somebody with such a high international profile, somebody who was on the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And they, a lot of the time, had some kind of crummy assistance, which made me very, very surprised. The other thing, too, is that they had clients who were calling in to work with them, and their clients were being exposed to these assistants who who sometimes couldn't answer very, very basic questions. And I thought, you know, this is really something that I, I need to address. And so I wrote the book specifically for executives to help them why they need to have an executive assistant and why they need to have a high-performing assistant. Because without it, a lot of them end up being dead in the water. So the purpose of an assistant is that they are there to take away anything and everything that is not a good use of their executive's time. So then you are freed to run your business. So in, in the case of attorneys, to grow your practice. And the assistant will take away from you all manner of minutiae that you really should not be getting involved in. 
So that's why I wrote the book. And executives have actually really responded very, very well to it. Because in the book, I walk them through the characteristics that they should be looking for. And then I tell them how to go about recruiting that assistant and how to onboard them, things like that. I know at the start of the book, you make the case for many assistants, rather than being seen as subordinate or servant, that you argue that the leader's executive assistant should really be seen as a business partner. What did you mean by that? So when I say business partner, I don't want to confuse that with the legal term business partner, but working in partnership, right? So we're working in partnership with each other. We're in this together. That's what I'm referring to when I talk about business partner. A lot of the executives that I interviewed, in fact, they talk about their assistant as being their business partner, but they actually call them their executive assistant. They don't call them a business partner as their official title. This essentially means somebody who is working side by side with you, somebody who's standing shoulder to shoulder with you, somebody who's there to take away from you anything and everything that is not a good use of your time. And, and that can be, depending on the level of assistant, um, if you've got a, an assistant who's new in the profession, there'll be less things that they can manage for you, obviously. But then as if you're hiring an assistant who's more experienced, more developed, has um longevity in the role, they're going to be doing a lot of things for you that are well beyond transactional. These are people who are self-starters. These are people who understand the big picture of the business and they work to that. They understand your goals. They understand their objectives and everything that they do then is supporting you to fulfill that. I know that even initially you kind of juxtaposed that one of the big challenges or barriers you wanted to overcome was having executives who did not have, let's say, as capable uh, of assistance as perhaps that they, they should. And you discuss in the book some of the roles in which you know valuable assistance can play for their executives, things like being a confidant, a problem solver, a sounding board, and so on. If we could elaborate on some of those, just in terms of like how resourceful an executive assistant can be. So- when I was researching my book, when I was interviewing executives and assistants, I asked all of them, what are some of the, the characteristics that you think are absolutely vital for the assistant role? And bar none, everybody came up with anticipation as the number one thing. This is somebody who is able to look ahead, to see what's coming, to head off disasters for you. Somebody who makes certain that you are primed and well ahead of the game, whether it's going on an international trip, whether it's going into a meeting, that you have every single thing that you need. So if you're going into a meeting, the agenda is already prepared. Everybody who's supposed to be in that meeting is briefed. They have their board papers, all of those things. The executive never has to ask the question, do we have this? Do we have that? Is lunch ready? Are, none of those things. You, you just go to the meeting and you focus on, on conducting the meeting. So anticipation was the number one thing. And I always questioned, I would be waiting for executives to say to me, the thing that I think is equal first with anticipation, which is being resourceful. Because you can look ahead, you can see ahead all you want, but if you don't know how to take action, if you don't know what to do to avert a crisis, if you don't know who to call on when you need help with something, there's no point in, in being able to anticipate. So a resourceful assistant to me is uh, worth their waiting goal because they are, are going to be able to make all kinds of things happen for you that you don't even know you need half the time. I'll give you uh, an example. I never realized this about myself, actually, in terms of resourcefulness. I was studying Italian and I went to class. I hadn't been to class the previous day. And the next day when I went to class, the teacher was asking us, she was reviewing the homework. And 
I guess she'd forgotten I hadn't been there the day before. So she asked me a question about the homework. I, I didn't know the answer, but I answered her anyway. And she turned to the class and she said, very good. She didn't have what she needed, so she used what she had. To me, that's the ultimate explanation of somebody who's resourceful. They don't have what they need, so they use what they have. They know how to get it done. They know how to go about making things happen. They don't throw up their hands and say, I, I don't know how to do it. They always, always find a way. And that's the kind of assistant you want, somebody who will always find a way for you to make things happen, get things done. The other thing I, I know you mentioned is there's also, I know you talk about the minutia and that, you know, the devil's in the details and the details aren't menial. So it's also the approach towards work that could be considered menial, right? Such as, you know, getting coffee, getting lunch, all these different things that can, I think can, can free up leaders, but it's almost as if an assistant is it's functioning in both roles, right? As strategy and confidant, but is also doing the things that can free up the time of the executive, like, like getting coffee. Well, here's, as I said, anything and everything that is not a good use of an executive's time. So for example, let's say my executive is in meetings and the meetings are running back to back. And I realize this person's not gonna have the chance to eat something before their next meeting. I will make sure a sandwich is waiting on his desk. And I will say, sit down here, eat your sandwich, shut the door for 10 minutes. I will take everything off your desk. You don't need to worry about any of it. Just eat your lunch. You want a cup of coffee with that? You want a, you want a soda? Whatever it is, my job is to give back time to my executive. So whatever I need to do to make that happen is what I'm going to do. I, I have no labels on that as far as menial or this or that. That's nonsense because my role is to make certain that my executive is making the very, very best use of their time and whatever I can do. So for example, one of my executives one time, we had uh, people coming down from Orange County to San Diego where I based. And they were running behind because they were coming from overseas. The plane was late, all of this stuff. This is a Wednesday, and my boss picks up his daughter from school on a Wednesday. So the meeting is running over time. And I said to him, he's looking at, looking at me. I said to him, I'll pick up your daughter. You don't have, that's not something you worry about. It's not my job to pick up his daughter. It's not something I have to do every day. It's not in my job description. But once in a while, if I have to do something to make my executive's life a little easier, can you imagine me saying, well, I'm not going to pick up your daughter. You go pick up your daughter. In the meantime, we have international people coming here for a meeting. That would never, never happen. So you just do whatever it takes to get the job done. I imagine there's going to be listeners that are hearing this. And as society evolves, right, people are going to have their thoughts around like asking somebody to do certain types of tasks and what someone believes is menial versus it is not. But as you describe in the book, there's the right assistant. It's not so much a job as it is a calling. But what if a leader feels guilty, perhaps, to ask his assistant to do certain tasks? So it depends on what you're asking them to do. So let's do this. Let's break it up because you've got personal assistants and you've got executive assistants, right? So, for example, when I worked for Tony Robbins, he had a personal assistant. And then I was his executive assistant. So I worked in the corporate office and I had an assistant. So anything externally that came to him, whether it was uh, clients, whether it was his, his celebrity friends, contacts, politicians, whatever, anybody who wanted to come to him from the outside came through me. So I, I ran the corporate side of it. Then he had a personal assistant. She traveled with him because Tony was constantly on the road, is constantly on the road. So he has to have somebody with him helping him out, you know, making sure that he gets to his appointments and all those different kinds of things. There are two very separate roles. In a job description, you've got 
personal assistants who are doing those kind of personal things. You know, they may be running errands and things like that. And then you've got the, the corporate or the executive assistant. Now, when you've got somebody who owns the business, very rarely is there a separation between those two. If somebody owns the business, you are doing personal things for them. Their wife will call you up and say, could you do such and such or whatever? You do those things. There's no separation because the person owns the business. In a corporate setting where you've got a CEO and they're not the owner of the business, that's quite different. And a lot of companies will actually frown on the executive asking assistants to do you know, personal type things. Now, for me, because most of my, in my professional life was working for people who own the company, it never faced me. I never thought twice about it. One of my executives, he was the CEO and uh, he didn't own the business. And his daughter was having her 13th birthday and she wanted to take her friends in a limousine and go up to Disneyland. And so he said to me, can you arrange that? I said, sure, I can. And I was talking to his wife later on that day and she said to me, he asked you to do that? I said, yeah, why? And she goes, well, I, I thought that was maybe something you wouldn't want to do. I said, no, not at all. He's got something to do. He hasn't got time to be calling around and getting a limousine for his 13-year-old daughter and her eight of her friends to go to Disneyland. So I'm more than happy. Again, I always come back to this. Anything and everything that is not a good use of my executive's time is what I do. You know, there's another part where you mentioned that an executive assistant is your ultimate PR person. Yes. What did you mean by that? The ultimate PR person is this is like somebody, one place that I worked, our public relations officer used to tell me I was our company's best foot forward. So this is somebody who is always making the executive look good. This is somebody who is reflecting your values. They're service oriented. So when somebody's calling into the company, you take immaculate care of them. This is something I'll say about Tony Robbins as he is fanatical about making certain that we took very, very good care of people. No treating them shoddily, no making them feel like they're a nuisance. You took your time with those people. You addressed their needs. You helped them out. You did your very, very best for them. These are the kinds of things that a, a PR person will do. And, and as I say, sometimes better than a PR person, you're actually paying to do the job. You know, They are absolutely your face and your voice to the world. They are your right arm. They are, in my book, I say they are a seamless extension of you, no separation between the two. I think at this point, I imagine many people listening, they're sold on the idea of this. If they don't already have an assistant, what do you believe is the biggest barrier? I mean, what, why don't more executives have more capable assistants? I mean, essentially, do they not know that this exists, that there are people out there like this that can be this capable, or is it something else? I think for executives who've never had an assistant, there's something of a, a fear factor in terms of how do I go about doing this even? How do I find this person? What am I looking for? If you have an HR department, even HR, sometimes they don't really understand the, the very, very specific and particular nature of the executive assistant partnership. It's quite daunting sometimes to be able to do this. So you need to get over that. You need to take a look and see you're being buried with work. You're exhausted. You don't have time with your, for your family. You don't have time for the things that, that you want to do, that your business should be giving you more freedom to do, except you're becoming a, a slave to your business. And as Michael Gerber says, he wrote the e-myth and the entrepreneurial myth. He said, business owners are busy doing it, doing it, doing it, right? That's what they're doing. And when you realize that you are doing it, doing it, doing it, at some point, you're going to have to wake up and say, look, I really need somebody to help me here. Once you come to that realization that you need help, then you need to figure out, this is about you. What do I need? What do I want? 
you start making a wish list, dream as big as you possibly can. You can pare it down as, as reality starts to set in, but start off by making a list as big and as broad as you want. This is what I'm looking for. This is the kind of person I want by my side. You know, you're spending a lot of time together. So you have to find somebody whom you feel you can work with. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody you really like. It can be somebody who you respect. It can be somebody who's outstanding at the job. And you say, you know, I can put up with this person's quirks one way or the other in order to get what it is that they're bringing to the table. So decide what it is you're looking for. Do an audit on yourself. What kind of person am I? What do I do? I like to start early in the morning. Do I like to start later? Do I like to go to the gym first thing in the morning? Uh, am I a morning person when I come in? Do I want to get right down to business or do I want to like some of my one executive? He would come in early into the office, but he would read the Wall Street Journal and he would get himself a cup of coffee and he would get himself set up for the day. So by the time I came in, he was ready to go. You know, we get ready to start the day together. So it just depends on the kind of person you are. Be very, very honest with yourself about who you are, how you like to work. What are your priorities? And then try to find somebody who's going to fit that. Now, as far as the, the business priorities, you have to, again, be discerning about what it is that you truly need. What are the must-haves? What are the nice-to-haves? Start making those lists. And then take a look at your list and say, well, you know, I can live without that or I can live without that or whatever. Oh, but no, I, I really got to have this. Or if you've got somebody who you've been working with for a while, either an assistant or somebody in the, in the organization who knows you very, very well, ask them, hey, what kind of personality am I? You know, am I a real grouch first thing in the morning? Oh, am I hard to get along with? Or do I, do I get irritated when I want something and it's not there immediately? How, what kind of personality am I from... You want to see from the, somebody else's outside perspective. And in the interview, you should tell your assistant, listen, I have a tendency to such and such and such and such. Let them decide. I can deal with it. No, I can't deal with it. Uh, but you don't want to blind sign them. You don't want to present yourself as being some wonderful guy to work with. And they come in the office and it's like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea this is how this was going to be. So be honest, be truthful, be open, so that when you start working with this person, you both know the expectations. Expectations should be laid out in the interview. This is what I'm expecting from you. This is what I want. Um, this, this is the criteria. And this is how I like to work. And then ask the assistant, what about you? You know, are you a morning person? Are you detail-oriented? Are you big picture? Are you going to be okay with me asking you to pick up my daughter at 3 o'clock because I'm in a meeting? Or are you are you going to have a fit about that and run to HR and say, this is not my job? And I'll tell you that, that for true professional executive assistants who are career assistants, there isn't a whole lot that they would say, this is not my job. You know, to me, I always say, you know, short of committing grand larceny or murder, there isn't a whole heck of a lot that I wouldn't do for my executive. While some leaders may worry about scaring off prospective assistants by sugarcoating themselves during interviews, Jan encourages leaders to be honest and upfront about how they operate and their needs. They're going to find out anyway. You don't want to have somebody come on board and say, you know what, you said this and you said that, and, and this is not the way it is, and I'm out of here. Well, that's going to be a huge cost to you to have gone through the whole process of hiring somebody, you know, to have them find out that there is just no way they can work with you because of some habit or some quirk or because you yell or because you throw things or whatever, whatever it is, you know, you have to be upfront. Both of you have to be completely upfront and the assistant has to interview the executive just as much as the executive is interviewing the assistant. 
ask them questions. What if I, I'm working as I have a tendency to do until eight o'clock at night, every night? If I need to leave at three o'clock tomorrow, are you going to say, no, you can't? Because to me, that's not a give and take. I don't want to work with somebody who's selfish like that. So ask the kinds of questions that are important to you on, on both ends and be honest in your answer because it's going to come out in the end and you're just going to have to waste a lot of time. So I was talking with an executive a while back and he was saying to me that he didn't know how to hire an assistant. So he went online and he did a lot of research and he came up with an assistant who was absolutely spectacular. Now he was based in Asia and when he, the company brought him back to the US, he had to find another assistant. And then he ended up starting his own business. And now he was looking for somebody who had experience supporting a, a CEO. So this woman said, yes, I have experience supporting a CEO. She, he gave her the job. Turns out she was supporting somebody who owned their own business. He was a one person, a solo operator. She had nowhere near the corporate experience he was looking for. And she said to me, Jan, I knew exactly what he was asking for, but I wanted this job so badly that I got to tell you, I just answered the question. He said, have you worked for a CEO? And I said, yes, I have. He didn't go deeper into that. What are some of the things that you did? What did he ask you to do? What were some of the, um, the tasks that you had to do? How much did you do in terms of taking away from him all the minutiae off his desk? Um, what kind of projects did you run for him? He didn't ask any of those questions. He needed an assistant. He needed an assistant fast. You've worked for CEO. Yes, I've worked for CEO. He liked her personality. He hired her. And he said to me, Jan, to a large extent, I had to start teaching her how to do her job. And I said to him, why didn't you get rid of her? And he said, it was just too hard. He said, by then I had too much piled up on my desk. I, I just didn't have the time to make the change and go through the hiring process all over again. So I stuck with her. You've got to do your homework. You've got to ask the deep questions. Are there any other questions that you, you'd recommend that you just are asked during the interview process? Any like essential questions? Yes, it's really, really important to make certain that what you mean by a certain word is what they mean by a certain word. So um, what do you mean by anticipation? Ask them for an example. So how did, what is an example of how you anticipated, you looked ahead, how you made certain that your executive was prepared for a certain eventuality? Tell me a time when you had to, or something like that. So whatever the trait that you're looking for is, ask them to give you examples of that. And I'll tell you something. If an executive assistant has done something, you can't shut them up. They will tell you and tell you and tell you and tell you. And it'll take 20 minutes for them to answer a simple question. If they haven't done it, they'll start to say, well, you know, I kind of sorted that, that kind of thing. Be very, very careful because assistants, when they've done something, they're proud of what they've done. They want you to know. They want to share that with you. They want to give you some background on how they can perform for you. So they will tell you everything. So don't hesitate to ask. I believe you referenced this, but even Elon Musk, when he interviews people, he asks them about what are some of the most difficult problems they've worked on and how they've solved those problems. And based on how somebody answers that question, you're really able to find out like how deeply they were involved in that problem, how much they were able to like how much they were the driver and so on. So I agree. A great question. What about once an assistant is hired? What are some of the things that you recommend doing as part of their onboarding or just to set them up for success? So it's very, very important when you bring on an assistant that you make it clear to the organization that this is my deputy. This person is here to represent me. If they ask you for something, please give it to them because I'm asking for that. This is what I need. I, I've come across this in, in one of my jobs where 
the executive had asked me, I was doing a temporary position and I was working for one of the, the company directors and he told me to ask the accountant for something. And the accountant said to me, I'm not giving that to you. This is confidential information. I'm not giving it to a temp. And I said to him, this is the project that I'm working on for Mr. Smith. And in order to complete this project for him, I need this element to get this done. And he told me to get it from you. So either you give it to me or I'll have to go back and tell him that you want him to come here and get this from you personally. Within a matter of seconds, he handed the file over to me. You have to make certain as the executive that you're letting people know. Something else, a, a woman, we were doing a conference in New York and she said to me, she got hired to do the job and she would go and she would ask the other employees, can I have this or can I have that? And they would say, who's asking, you or him? And they said to me, Jan, why are they asking me that question? And I said, because your boss hasn't made it clear that you're his deputy. And if you're coming there to ask for something, they need to help you out and give it to you because that's what you're asking for. That's what you need in order to get the job done. So don't hesitate to introduce your assistant around. Let people know whether even if it's by email or whatever, try to bring her around, introduce the person in, in person. But if not, find some way to introduce them. And I, I think also out of just out of sheer curiosity, people will come and introduce themselves because they're going to want to see who this new person is, who's supporting the CEO or whatever, so, or the, the business owner. So that's really, really important. And then get them up to speed on who your key people are. Who are the people whose calls you always take, no matter what, that they interrupt you? Usually it's a wife or children or someone like parents, something like that. They'll say, I always stop on my mother's calls, no matter what. You have to get me out of the meeting where you put the call through. So let them know who your key people are. Let them know who, what projects you're working on. Here are some of the people who are going to be involved in this project. You'll be hearing from them. You'll be hearing from their assistant. And then maybe look out a little further long term and say, and then we have some of these projects that are going to be coming online pretty soon. Here are some of the things that we're, you're going to have to prepare yourself in order to know. And here are some of the people who, we, who are going to be involved in this project so that they are then able to look ahead and say, gosh, in order to help my boss with this, I need to become familiar with XYZ information. I need to do certain research. I need to, uh, whatever it's going to take to make certain that I am prepared to help my executive with whatever projects that they're working on. So these are some of the ways that you can get them involved. You can get them interested if you share with them, if you tell them the goals, if you tell them the objectives, get them to buy in. Now they can own the job. Now they don't have to be relying on you to give them transactional things to do. Now they can be a self-starter. Now they can say, oh, I can handle that. I don't need him to tell me that. I don't need her to, to, to do this. I can take care of it myself. Help them to understand your objectives and the mission and the goals so that they can feel involved, they can feel like they are part of this and that they will start to make the contribution. That's what you want. You want them to stand side by side with you, shoulder to shoulder with you. But in order to do that, they have to know the direction in which you're going so they can go there with you. And I want to be explicit about one thing because I imagine many of our listeners, they have someone who is a practice manager or a COO or someone that they work with that they say, well, this is the person who supports me in many aspects of the business. But to clearly articulate the difference between an executive assistant and a COO, because we've had conversations before on the podcast where we talk about the visionary integrator dynamic, but this is different. The executive assistant is not the COO. It's a very, very different role. Certainly in, in companies where I've worked in, in corporate, 
uh, often the the COO will will may even be a CFO in one company that I worked. Um, in fact, a couple of companies where I worked, the, the CEO and CFO were the same person. The executive assistant to whether this is the CEO or whoever it is, it's not the same person. Now you're doing a lot of the same jobs, but you are reporting. So, for example, when I was um, a couple of the jobs that I had, I was executive assistant to the CEO. And I reported to the CEO as the executive assistant. But my other job was also director of administration, administrative services. And for that, I reported to the COO. Anything that I had to do in respect to administration, I reported to the COO. And they had the ultimate authority, just like the CEO. I may be doing a whole bunch of projects, but then they they have the final sign-off. They have the final say. They have the final authority. I don't have the authority to make decisions that will commit the company financially, things like that. But other, other steps leading up to the final decision that the CEO makes or the CEO makes, I'm the person who does all of those steps that brings the final project to completion so that the executive can sign off on it. And I think what it really comes down to, I know you mentioned this earlier, is just leaders being very clear on not just what they could be freed up from, but more importantly, what they're going to be freed up to do, right? So to knowing what they'll be doing with their newfound time and and how they'll be able to leverage it, because I sense that a lot of the hesitancy around investing in someone like this really just stems from a lack of clarity around how they'll be more empowered and actually help the business grow. Yes, this is the thing, you know, is is, is that your job is to grow the business. Your job is to be the revenue generator. Your job is to bring in the new the new customers, the new clients to grow your business. So if you're spending your time worrying about setting up a meeting and who is going to be in that meeting, and I give you this as examples of what's actually happened. I had I mentioned this one person in, the, in my book where he had a new assistant join and he said to her, set up this meeting. She set up the meeting and I think there were four or five more people in the meeting than there should have been in the meeting. So he got really mad at her and said to her, from now on, I'm setting up all the meetings. Now, that's ridiculous. She's just joined your company. She doesn't know this is the very first time she's done this. To me, that's not an experienced assistant because what I would have done is I would have drawn up the list and I would have said, is everybody who's supposed to be in this meeting on this list? And he would have said, yes, 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 no, don't, don't invite her. No, don't invite him. And I would have gone to the list and I would have had the correct list. But when somebody's new like that, if you've hired an assistant who doesn't have that much experience, you're going to have to give them some guidance. You're going to have to give them some direction. It's not worth your time to sit there if, you, if you've got to take a trip and say, well, I'm going to do my own travel planning or I'm going to set up my own meetings, make my own appointments. This doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you need to be letting somebody who is closer to their, their pay level do these kinds of tasks. You know, if, if you're, you're um, spending your time doing things that are worth $25, how are you going to do jobs that, that you should be doing that are billable at a much higher rate than that? You're just wasting your time. And I'm sure your clients are not going to be happy knowing that they're paying you all kinds of money for you to be um, doing $20, $25 an hour jobs. Because menial tasks build up throughout the day, it's easy to underestimate how much time an assistant can give back to you so that you're able to focus on the things that are the highest and most profitable use of your time. One of the things that many leaders are often reluctant to give up is their inbox. I asked Jan to elaborate on how leaders can delegate email to their assistant. This is very interesting. I always say to executives and I say to assistants, you handle email the same way you would handle hard copies, the mail, mail coming in through UPS or FedEx or whatever, right? If a FedEx envelope came in, I wouldn't give it to my executive and said, here, open it up and do whatever it is you do. 
I would open up that envelope. I would take a look. I would see what's in there. If I could action it, I would action it. If there were things my executive had to action, I would highlight them or put a note next to that action item for them to take charge of it. It's the same way that I would handle email. I don't know why people treat email like it's some very, very private thing. If you've got private stuff coming over email, then have it go to a separate address. Don't have it going to your business address. And your assistant is not is not interested in some joke that one of your uh, your friends is sending around that they shouldn't be seeing, you know. So make certain that you tell your your friends that this is my private email. Anything private goes to to this email address, and anything business goes here. And as I tell executives and I tell assistants, anything and everything of a business nature involves your assistant. It's your business, your assistant's business. They need to be able to see what's happening. If they don't know what's coming in on your email and they don't know what's going on, they're not going to be able to assist you. They have to be in the loop. You have to keep communicating with them constantly. And you have to let people know, please CC my assistant on this. And if you see they haven't CC'd your assistant, you send a copy to your assistant and you remind these people in future, please CC my assistant copy here. But you have to let your assistant see what's going on in the business. Now, I understand, obviously, Michael, that there are different levels of assistance. So if you've got a newer assistant, somebody who may be quite young in the role, doesn't have the level of experience, there may be some things that you don't want them to see, things that are highly confidential that you don't want them to see. Those might be the emails you might just say to them, listen, anything coming in on this project right now, I will take care of. I will let you know what you need to know on this so you can do X, Y, Z. But as you're progressing, as you're getting an assistant who is a higher level assistant, who understands confidentiality, who understands how to handle things, who understands priority, you're not doing them a service and you're doing yourself a disservice. If you don't let them know what's happening with that project and let them help you, there are things that they can help you with. I've had instances where my CEO was not there and we were working on very, very tight deadlines. The attorney calls in. And they're asking for the CEO. The CEO is not there. I say, look, I know what you're calling for, X, Y, Z. First couple of times, the attorneys would be quite shocked. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How is it that this woman knows this information? I know it because my executive is telling me. They have to tell me in order for me to be able to get my job done. Because if they don't tell me, you call in. You can't do anything further. We're on a deadline for 5 o'clock this afternoon to get this document signed. It's not going to happen. So I need to know what's happening so that I can move things along for you and uh, things aren't bottlenecked because I don't know what's going on. You, you don't want to have an assistant who is saying, I don't know. I don't know. He didn't tell me. Assistants will say this. I remember my very, very first job. I was called a girl Friday. I was 20 years old. I did every administrative thing in that company. I worked for two partners. It was an insurance brokerage firm. And one day, people would call and would take a message. And one day, my boss said to me, what did he want? And I said, he didn't say. And he said, well, did you ask? And I went, ah, oh, did I ask? No, I didn't ask. But that was the last time I didn't ask. I asked, what is the purpose of this call? And sometimes they don't want to tell you if, you, if they think you're too young or they, why are you sticking your nose in this? Because they don't understand the caliber of assistant that you are. I will say to them, if you don't tell me what the purpose of this call is, I will not be able to let Mr. Smith know that you've called because I don't just tell him somebody called and call you back. I have to tell him why you're calling so he knows whether or not he's the best person to answer that call. And it could be that I can help you. 
I might be able to answer this question. So I always ask, what is the purpose of the call? And if my boss is communicating with me, odds are very, very high. I will know exactly why this person is calling. And I'll say, oh, good morning, Mr. Such and Such. John is not here, uh, but are you calling about this and that and the other? And then he'll say yes, and then we'll have a conversation about it. When I worked for Tony Robbins, he was on the road constantly and extraordinarily high-level celebrities, uh, CEOs, politicians would call to speak to him. And when they got me, they would tell me what they wanted because they knew that it was a waste of their time and, and his time to not tell me. So they would tell me exactly what they wanted. I would either give them the answer that they needed or I would find out from Tony, I would call him back and, and I would tell them what they needed to hear. Communication is absolutely vital and fundamental between the executive and the assistant. You've got to keep them in the loop. You've got to let them know what's going on so that they can help you. Otherwise, they're just going to be sitting there and, and you're going to be you know, wasting money. It's not going to be a good investment for you to hire an assistant who can't do their job because you're not handing over to them. You've got to give them the opportunity to show you what they can do so you can be focusing on the things that only you can do. That's the best use of your time. That's the best use of the assistant's time. So Jan, on, on the converse of all of this, where do leaders go wrong when it comes to working with their assistant? What, what are some of the common kind of pitfalls or mistakes that you've seen? Not communicating is the number one. Assistants will say this over and over again, not communicating, not keeping them in the loop, not helping them to understand the big picture. And I will tell assistants over and over again, this is incumbent on you to find out. If they're not telling you, you find out. When my executive comes out of a meeting, I say, so what happened in there? What do I need to know? What follow-up do I need to do? Is there anybody I need to call? Is there a follow-up meeting from this? Is there a follow-up appointment from this? What do I need to do? And in me taking the initiative to ask them that, I will find out all of the things that I need to know. Sometimes my executive is running to the next meeting and they'll say to me, Jan, I have to catch up with you on this. Okay. The onus is on me to say, okay, do you have 10 minutes now? I need you to debrief me on that meeting. I need to X, Y, Z. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for assistants who say, my executive doesn't tell me or my executive doesn't allow me. My executive doesn't. My executive doesn't. You have to take the initiative. Now, there are executives, and I don't know why these people bother to have assistants. If you're not going to clue them in, if you're not going to utilize them in the way an assistant should be utilized, why, why bother to have an assistant? It doesn't make any sense. You're frustrating the assistant and you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. So communication is, is actually the number one thing that assistants say that, that they need from their executives. The other thing, too, is not treating them respectfully, not treating them as a fellow professional. This is a big mistake. You know, as I say in my book, you know, if you wanted the CFO to come to your office and bring um, a report, if they were, you know, two minutes late getting there, would you yell at them when they came in the door? No, you wouldn't. So why would you yell at your assistant if they're two minutes late coming in the door? I mean, this is human beings. They have to pick up their their folders and bring it to you and come and sit down. Or if they're working on their computer, they have to unplug it and come in the office or whatever. So, you know, treat them like professionals. And these are people who are there for you. Everything is for them to give you the absolute benefit of the very best that they have. So treat them with respect for what they do for you. 
And I imagine that as, as a company grows or business grows and evolves, so do the responsibilities and duties of an executive's assistant. You talk about in the book that while you know, we invest in training and development for so many key team members, it seems like that many times the assistant's overlooked. So what are some you know, the best ways to provide training and development to an assistant? The assistant knows some of the areas where they should be getting some training, getting some help. So be open to that. Ask them, you know, uh, if, if they come to you and ask permission, can I, can I do this particular course? Don't say, no, I don't need it to do or there's no budget for it. And then you turn around and you spend money on some other thing that is, is completely frivolous. And the assistant's going, look, I need this in order to get my job done, in order to be more effective for you. And you've turned me down, but you're spending money on some frivolous thing, you know? And it depends on whether the your what you're asking to do is what the executive believes they need from you. So, for example, in the early days when PowerPoint became a thing and all the assistants were going for PowerPoint training, I said to my CEO, I said, look, they're all going for PowerPoint training. How come I'm not going? And he pointed to my assistant and he said, let her go for PowerPoint training. I need you for this. And he pointed to his head. I need you for the way you think. I don't need you sitting in front of a computer making pretty PowerPoints. That's not your highest and best value to me. So no, I'm not going to send you off right now to go and spend the day learning PowerPoint. I don't need it from you. Let your assistant do it. So these are the kinds of things. But assistants will say if they, they know if there's a new technology that they need to learn, if you want them to, to do, be working on some higher level projects and they say to you, look, could I go for a training on this or that? Be open to it. And a lot of the time, too, it's a question of morale. So you may not immediately see that this is something that's going to benefit in the immediate term, but the assistant wants to learn it because they feel like it's going to help them to contribute. It's going to help them to feel like they're keeping their skills sharp. Let them do it if it isn't going to be an outrageous amount of money. Let them do it. Allow them to have the budget for that. And it also seems that to have someone like this in your life, that essentially you open up your calendar to, your email to, your life to, I mean, it requires a, a great degree of trust that you want to have someone who's who's very capable and, and competent, really as a true partner, that you don't want to skimp on your investment in them in terms of what you pay them. Yes, this is uh, a, another issue. So I, I will preface this by saying that you don't always have to pay outrageous amounts of money to get a spectacular assistant. It depends on the market that you're in, in the, in the local uh, market, in the, the local economy. It depends on, on the skills that you're looking for. The assistant might, might be willing to take a, a little less pay for the opportunity that you're presenting because you're giving them a chance to learn a lot more than they would have in some other job where they may be being paid better, but they're not, not really having a chance to do a whole lot, to use their expertise. But it's very, very important that you're fair in paying them what the job is worth. And if you can pay a little bit more to give them some incentive, yes, absolutely do that. Uh, do that. Treat them with respect. And one of the things that is difficult to quantify in terms of the assistant role is that um, a, a lot of what the assistant is doing is what they call invisible labor, right? You can't really quantify what they're doing, so you can't put a dollar amount on it. And I think that if the assistant actually listed those things, that all of the stuff that they're doing that's invisible to you, you might end up paying them maybe even 10% more or something because suddenly you're getting a very clear idea. Wow, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they do that I don't even know about. And you would actually never know about it until it didn't get done, and then you would realize what they're doing. So it's very important to be fair in, in 
remunerating them fairly and um, making certain that they're feeling appreciated. I talked in the book about David Renker, who gave his assistant a bonus out of his bonus every year because he said she saw all the money coming through this organization. She And she was so instrumental in helping him to meet his targets that for him to not be generous, not give her a bonus, it just didn't make any sense to him. So he would pay her a bonus out of his own bonus check. And I've actually had a couple of bosses who've done that, where the, the company hasn't allowed for a bonus to be paid for an assistant at a certain, at at the lower levels when you're maybe when I was a younger assistant, my bosses would give me a a bonus check just because they, they would be so grateful for all the things that I was doing to help them. So those are some of the things that you can really do. You know, even if it's something like give them a day off or one of the places that I worked, people liked uh, working very, very long hours. They used to like to take their spouse and go to Las Vegas for the weekend. So that would be one of the, presence that they would get you know you know just go go for the weekend to las vegas or some little thing that you can do to make it worth their while yeah and i will say that having a phenomenal assistant myself i'm good at very few things and i could not imagine me being able to function uh nearly as 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 well without that level of support you mentioned in the book and then you talk about self-enhancement bias as, as to why some leaders don't delegate tasks or they believe that no one can do the job as well as they can i i really think a lot of this is either you know ego or perhaps people not you know leaders not understanding the value of their time but whatever it is i mean as we've long said that oftentimes that if you don't have an assistant, you are one. Yeah, this is the thing, especially with business owners. This is their baby, right? This is something that they've nurtured. It's their whole life and it's hard to let go. So you you want to have an assistant who you can trust. Somebody who will come in and say, look, let me have a shot at this. Let me try it. If I, if I mess it up, help me to understand where I've messed it up. I won't do it again. But you can't continue, you know, you, at some point you're going to have to scale the business, you know, and you're not going to be able to continue to have your, your finger in every pie. You're going to have to start delegating to somebody, find somebody who you feel comfortable delegating to. One of the interesting things, uh, a report that I saw that I put in my book is that sometimes executives, are, this is not business owners so much, but in corporations where they're afraid that if they hand it over to the assistant, then what are they going to do? They're, they're a mid-level exit manager. They don't quite see the next step for them to scale up. And if the assistant's taking over all the stuff that they're doing, then they're, they're going to have nothing to do. So that this is a very real fear that you see. That I've seen there have been studies done on this. But if you're, getting, if you're bringing in an assistant, then respect them, value them. Let them show you what they can do. You'll be very, very pleasantly surprised a lot of the time. And once you start seeing what they can do, and once you start scaling your business, and once your time is freed up to do the kinds of things that only you can do in your business, particularly around revenue generation, right? Then you're going to, at the next level, say, you know what? I don't know how I can do without an assistant. And you're going to start finding more and more things that you can turn over to them. So they can free up your time, not only so you can work more, but that you can have time with your family, that you can take a vacation that you haven't. I remember starting one job and this um, woman I was working for, she said to me, Jan, I haven't had a vacation in 10 years. In 10 years. And now my husband and I are going to be able to take a vacation and go away for a week because we have you here running things. 10 years. This business owner had never left the business. Your assistant is going to give you more life. Take the opportunity. 
And Jen, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Being a game changer is somebody who is performing at such levels, whether it's performing in a role or creating a product or a service that takes the product or service or the role to a whole different unimaginable level. People can't imagine, my goodness, how do you, I had an executive say to me, how did you do that? How did you make that happen? This is what game changing is, is people can't fathom how you did it. Or people say, you know, you've raised the bar to such an extent that the person who follows you haven't helped them. This is game changing. You come up with creative ways to make things happen. You think along lines that nobody could have imagined. Sometimes just a small shift in things. And it takes things to a whole different level. I want to give a huge thank you to Jan Jones for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated for me was when Jan stated that your executive assistant can give you more life and free you up to have the opportunity to dedicate more time to operating in the most critical areas of your business while spending less time on the menial day-to-day. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Jan Jones, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time and we'll be speaking to renowned trial attorney and managing partner at Bisner Chase, Brian Chase. When I was in law school, they told me, no, we're a profession. We're not a business. Bullshit. We're a business. And if you don't run it like a business, you're going to fail. And so, you know, 20 plus years ago, my partner and I ran it like a business, investigated various opportunities to want to grow it. And we would face our fears on that. Growth is scary. And the people I've seen that I leapfrogged over, it was because they were afraid of hiring that extra paralegal. They looked at that as money coming out of their pocket. When John and I were growing this firm, it wasn't money coming out of our pocket. We're going to make money. We weren't afraid to grow, even though it was risky. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast.